welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome back to Employee of the Month. I am just thrilled to have back on Neil Medlin. He's one of my favorite performance artists. I will never understand why the same mainly white males, all the cool kids. Comedy these days is so much about who's popular and that's who gets book deals and that's who gets especially TV shows, even on this quote-unquote indie cable networks. It just feels like if you're part of the cool kids, you got a career. And what I love about Neil Medlin and so many of the downtown performance artists in New York that I know, and I'm sure that this is true for artists all over the country, uh, if not the world, but in this case, with Neil Medlin, he's just so funny. Oh, and happens to be talented as a singer and a dancer. But most importantly, I think he embodies his characters, he really takes them on and it's not this wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look how funny it is to be a man in a dress. It was also nice to sit down with Neil and have him fully clothed. I don't think I've seen him fully clothed for uh, an entire hour before or 40 minutes. That's really like the therapy sessions. I don't know if you've been to therapy, but I just remember when I learned. Wait, there's something called a 45 minute hour greatest marketing scam. Well, that's not fair. If it's a good therapist, it's worth it. And nothing is a greater scam than lawyers billing by the hour. How much? I don't know what you're doing. You could be playing Tetris for all I know and winning. If you're beating me at words with friends and you are a lawyer, I'm going to be really upset if you're also billing me for it. That, that was like a specific jab at a specific lawyer so that I don't think my lawyer would ever play words with friends because she seems like one of those hot shots. She's really competent. I, on the other hand, do play Words with Friends all the time, so if you're on Words with Friends, look me up. I'll be happy to play with you. But before you do that, enjoy my interview with Mr. Neil Medlin. I am here with Neil Medlin. We are here for part two of his Employee of the Month award-winning interview. <laughs> um, I also owe you a, a second award, actually. Oh, right. I meant to bring that with me. No, you can you can save that as a ransom. Ooh, so then I, <laughs> so then I get two awards, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which doesn't happen for everyone else. Right, I know. That's what I'm excited about. Can I just tell you that the intern who made that and, like, left, that's why I don't have your second one, because (laughs) she she was supposed to finish everything, and, like, she's like, I'm a writer now, and, like, left in in between. That happens. Um, I guess it does, but because you and I are also artists, I don't think I would ever do that, but all right. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, like, my career is starting now. So she let... She... I'm impressed that it just t- that it started all of a sudden like that. That's exactly... It was like an alarm went off in her pocket, and she was like, oh, here we go. She's like, I am... Career begins wants. now. I cannot... De- <laughs> and she, like, phrased it as, like, I just want to help you. But, but uh, you know, I, it's not mm-hmm. fair to you. And it's like, just finish what you thought thoughtfully said you would do. Um, but anyways, your award, she gave you a messed up award and she's like isn't he an artist (laughs) (laughs) like no (laughs) not in that he likes broken awards (laughs) he gets a legitimate award for his hard work (laughs) that's Um, what they said to jennifer lawrence when they gave her the oscar and it was like the hands were broken off they're like but you're an artist so you'll get it you know what i mean you'll totally like the venus de milo but did you watch the oscars (laughs) did you like them i did watch the oscars it seemed kind of like um, it's, you know, it seems sort of like a disaster. But I also haven't watched them for the last several years because yeah. I've been in Murray Hill's um, Oscar show. Oscar show. Yeah, I was so, performing, so I missed it. So how, how was? How were the Oscars? Uh, kind of, a, you know, like a big mess. But it's but that's the thing. Like I haven't watched them in several years, so maybe they always are, and I just haven't actually sat down and watched them. But I was like, oh my god, what a, you know, it just seems like, you know, 
it's like one of those. Uh, it just seems like such a big undertaking that you're like, oh yeah, there's no way for you guys to possibly get this right. So there's way too many moving parts. Just seems like I have the opposite feeling. I feel like you and I put on shows all the time, and we are able to have them go from beginning to end right, yeah. and be funny. And I can't understand how yeah. the most brilliant minds in Hollywood. No, and that's and, true. And genuinely, I think maybe what I mean is it feels film like and television makers yeah. can't put together <laughs> one award show. Yeah, I know. You feel like Steven Spielberg is there, you guys. Surely, something, you know. I have the absolute opposite experience where I'm like, why don't they even make it into an experiment where they're like, okay, yeah. show us what you would do and like give 50 people the chance to like show right, like, yeah. this is how I would do it if I did the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. And Almodovar's, I would go to Pedro Almodovar's Oscars. <laughs> That'd be good. And then there's a dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> Pina Bausch comes out and does the, you know, best nominated animated shorts. And Penelope Cruz has, like, additional bosom elements right, to yeah. her because she's not hot enough as it is. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's so funny when he pads her. I'm like, she's already hot. <laughs> I know. I like that he pads her and puts her in uniforms. Like, yes. all the, whatever is, like, the sexiest yes. thing. So, like, no, she's a working class nurse slash and then when she gets off from that she works at a laundromat just so she can wear two different kinds of like tight zip up one piece skirts dresses jumpsuits yeah Um, jump dresses I did like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis oh yeah acceptance speech he was so so I I was doing ASCAD at UCB this um, oh uh uh-huh sort of fancy uh, improv show and then I came home and I did see that part and that was really Lovely. Yeah, it was really nice. I thought that was nice. I was like, oh, I thought he was supposed to be a jerk. But then, um, you know, but he seemed, yeah, he seemed really nice. He's so like, oh. sweet and, yeah. and funny. Yeah. He was very charming. Uh, what's odd to me is his, so his wife is Arthur Miller's daughter. Oh, really? And okay. Arthur Miller has a son who has Down syndrome, and he has written him out of his will. I mean, I know Arthur oh, right, passed yeah. on and never taken that. care of him, but mm-hmm. this other nice New Jersey family was like, he's a great kid. We're going to support him. It just oh, wow. Yeah. seems a little sad that someone who's so eloquent about men. Right. And like so, I mean, he's taught people how to understand male psychology. Right, yeah, yeah. Could be so unempathetic. Yeah, yeah. To his own flesh and blood. That happens all the time, I suppose. Now, I, 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 we are going to talk about your career, but I just wanted to focus for one more second. You have these clear glasses that have exclamation points and statements on them. Oh, yeah. And you don't see it at first, but then you do. Can you describe your glasses for people? Well, they're these clear glasses. This, this artist, Emily Royston, made them. And, um, and they say, on the side, they say, pow, pow, power. And then there's exclamation point on one side, question mark on the other and then it says, surprise, you're pregnant around the eyeball parts, whatever you... I'm sure there's a technical eyeglass world term for what these parts are, but, you know, the eyeglass circles. Yes. And it says, surprise, you're pregnant. And I got them because I, when I first moved to New York, I had a show for a while called, Oh My God, I Think I'm Pregnant. <laughs> and so I was like, oh... And my friend Matthew curated a show, and these glasses were in the show, and I was like, oh, I have to buy them. So I met her, and she's super great. She's like a really, she's a lot of fun and a super great artist. And um, and I've done some other things with her since then, but yeah, I'm super excited about these. You collaborate a lot with other artists, like in, in a variety of ways. Yeah, 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 which is kind of weird, because I always... And I still do mostly think of myself as like a solo artist, but which is crazy because I'm not. I mean, in that I work with tons of different people and certainly have over the last like six or seven years. But yes, I do. I wanted to um, 
ask you what Juggalo is? Juggalo? Oh, Juggalos? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're fan. Well, they're they're fans of the Insane Clown Posse or other acts that are on the. You know, Insane Clown Posse has their own record label. They're not on any sort of major label. They're and totally independent. And Insane Clown Posse is, is who you did a, a series for? or I or? did a show based on them and the Juggalos and, you know, and okay. that sort of thing. Yeah, because I've been doing these shows, pop star shows, building yes. on specific pop stars. Like Beyonce. Yeah. Well, Beyonce was a reenactment of her concert DVD, so I don't really count that one as part of the series. Okay, which one did you count as part of the series? Uh, the Lionel Richie opera, Coming in the Air Tonight, which was a Phil Collins show, Unpronounceable Symbol, which was Prince, and then Hers a Queen, which was Britney Spears, Brave New Girl, which was Hannah Montana, and then Wicked Clown Love, which was Insane Clown Posse. Okay. And then in the fall is the seventh and final one, which is called King, and it's built around Michael Jackson. And that will be where? Stage where? At the kitchen. Okay, in New York at the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you went to a, a Juggalo weekend? Yeah, they have a gathering of the Juggalos every year. And it's like a sort of like a music festival um, in that there are concerts every night, you know, that kind of thing. But everybody camps out there. It's like in the middle, literal middle of nowhere. No, There's no lighting. Like there's no lights at night and stuff like that. People just pitch tents. And then there's all these other events, flashlight wrestling, um, you know, <laughs> kind of side fun. stages. It was fun. I enjoyed myself. I really did. And I'm super glad that I went because I couldn't figure out exactly how to do the show. It kept seeming like I was just giving, when I, everything I came up with seemed like I was just going to be given a seminar about juggalos and the same clown posse and Got stuff. It. Got and it. then I went to the gathering and I was like, oh no, I know how to. Now it just kind of like made me feel more a part of that subculture. Yeah. And enough to kind of understand how I was going to make a show about it and stuff. And, so. and, and they're just, they're huge fans. Is that what it is? Yeah, they're huge fans and they're. Um, what is the demographics, for lack of a better uh, word? T- uh, like working class, white kids, primarily from the Midwest, like Detroit, sort of depressed, um, no future city dwellers. The kind of kids that, no. The kind of kids that would have been punks in the 70s if punk was less middle class and more working class. Interesting. So it's like actual like working class kids. And the kind of, I always think of it as like, you know, like when you go into a gas station or a Mm -hmm. Walmart and there's like a guy working there and they don't let them work up in the front because they're like a little too scary, you know, or something. But they're there and you probably just like totally shut them out. Those are the Juggalos. Like, that's where Juggalos come from. So they're this kind of like... And when Insane Clown Posse was first starting out and trying to, you know, trying to sell records and stuff, like, record companies were like, but who are you selling them to? And they're like, these kids that exist out there. But people just kind of... They're this kind of, like, invisible group of people. Absolutely. But they've totally created this, you know, like, um, legitimate underground around them and there's clothes and all this kind of stuff, and they manufacture it all themselves. There's no corporate sponsorship or anything like that. And it's funny because, like, you just mentioned, like, globalism on the walk-in or whatever, you know, yeah. or whether. And it's like, and everybody's always talking about that. Like, oh, there's no, you can't have an underground now and all this kind of stuff, but they totally do. Like, it's a legitimate underground. In that, and also that the overground is terrified of them and thinks they're potentially dangerous and all this kind of What's stuff. What's the dress? You know? if, I, if I were to spot one on the street, what, what would he or she look like? Kind of like, it's this weird mix-em-up of like, 
raver clothes from the 90s and like white suburban hip hop kid you know clothes so like they wear like they'll braid their hair right so those tiny little braids that look like a crazy thing coming out of their head hair in the morning yeah Yeah. you know and like you know goatees or whatever big huge raver do they braid the goatees do they braid the goatees yeah Mm -hmm. sometimes and like you know big raver kid pants with like the giant wide leg black pants with the fake suspenders and other like extra straps and stuff and um yeah and t-shirts a lot of you know insane clown posse t-shirts and stuff like that some tattoos sometimes they'll wear the like white colored um you know uh, no i don't know contact lenses <laughs> you know contact lenses that make your eyes look white until you look crazy no i did not you know, know about this so it's like a mix-up of like horror house clothes you know like horror not horror Hor- house yeah <laughs> and um and these raver kid things and you know Is the girls wear those like yeah, yeah. A lot of people are very openly buying and selling and doing drugs. Particular there. kinds? or um, What were they doing? Like, all sorts of stuff. You know, um, MDMA and pot and, you know. What's MDMA? It's uh, ecstasy, right? I don't know. I think. And then there was lots of drugs that they have names for that I wasn't sure. Like, they were like Molly's. And I've heard of Molly's, but I don't exactly know what those are. Are those so. like Susie's? I'm just kidding. I, I don't no know. Um, Cough so syrup. Did you, you know. did you identify <laughs> with these kids at all? Did it remind you at all of your youth in Texas? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like I had some friends who, under different circumstances, or, you know, would have been juggalos or whatever. And I feel like, also just like class-wise, I really identified with this whole kind of movement in terms of you know, in terms of class and sort of being like, you know, their whole like, you know, flip off to everybody feels like I I understand where it's what, it, or I feel like I kind of understand or can understand where it's coming from. You know. But you call it a movement. Why why is it a movement versus a um, fan club or a? Mm, I guess. Well, I don't know that it's a movement. I mean, other than that, uh, so maybe that's not the right word. I guess. Um, I mean, it's empowering for all of these people that are involved. You know, it's like a real, it's a real thing to be. And there's like so much um, affection within the scene for themselves and for each other, you know, that it's really sweet, but it's sort of born out in this kind of crazy kind of numbskull kind of way, like setting off fireworks and stuff. But they go to this place to be like free of all these other constraints because people are, you know, it's just like, you know. They have this like hidden camaraderie, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. So it's very romantic and stuff, but on the other hand, um, you know, it's like all the songs are about killing and, you know, serial killers and all this kind of stuff, but that's like the sort of distancing technique, too. It's like nobody wants to join a club where you're just talking about killing people all the time, but really it's like, and it's useful because, you know, um, it's the power of this kind of negativity or whatever, and it's like a community built around negativity rather than like, positivity or whatever you know so that they band together around like that's the scapegoat or something like that the are they pro serial killers or i mean you know in that in that way that like um you know heavy metal kids or whatever it's like you know in the 80s or whatever it was all this serial killer imagery and all this kind of stuff like you know kids wearing ted bundy shirts or whatever and it's like i don't think they really want to kill anybody necessarily for real other than it's this outlet for those kind of feelings of like sometimes you do want to kill you want to kill your boss and so and then the targets in the songs are very specific to 
they're those kind of people. Like, it's like, oh, you want to kill the judge, you know, who heard your probation case or whatever, you know, because it's like, how dare he tell you what you should do, blah, 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 or your boss, or, like, rich people. Did this remind of, you at you know, all of your childhood? Um, because you've spoken a bit about, like, as a teenager, you went through this sort of rebellion period that didn't fit the rest of your life. That when you were younger, you were oh, quite yeah, inclusive, yeah. but then like 17 to 25, you were really rebellious. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was—I don't even know if I was rebellious. I was just kind of a mess. Like, everything was just kind of crazy. And, yeah, and it was like I was on a lot of, um, you know, public assistance and then, you know, just getting, you know, sort of stared down at the grocery store and then that would make me really angry and you know and all this kind of stuff and then so it was just kind of you know get pulled over a lot by the cops and then they would rip your car apart and then you're by the side of the road and there's like five squad cars and they're tearing the car apart because you're just like young and you have long hair and you're coming from the wrong place and it's just like it you know I was just really angry during that whole period of time because it was just kind of dark you know when did you have your first son Blake when I was 18 okay yeah and did you know that you were going to split up with his mom? No, no. Uh-uh. Okay. Um, is that also when you started to discover your art, though, too? Yeah, roughly, because I went to... Well, sorry, you were doing another rapper. Or oh, that well, earlier? that was when I was in high school. Okay. Yeah. I was in, like, I guess I was a junior or something when that happened. I don't really know. Must have been. Yeah, because I, I look older than... When you won a picture. rap contest was in was yeah, yeah. junior year high <laughs> that school. That was when I was a junior, I think. Yeah. Must have been. Yeah. But so when you when you had Blake at the time, like, were you doing performance art stuff yet? No, uh, I was in theater in high school, and then um, I had gotten a theater scholarship to a local college, Kilgore College. And so you were, grew up in Pal- Palestine. Well, I grew up in Palestine, Texas, which Why is Palestine. Why do they Palestine. say Palestine instead of Palestine? Well, I looked that up. It's because it they took their name from a town in like Illinois or something okay. where some of the founders of the town were from. So the, and that town was pronounced Palestine. So it's not really their fault. It's whoever the people who founded the town in Palestine, Illinois or whatever, it's their fault that Let's it's blame them. And I, <laughs> I I mean I liken it to Houston Street in New York. Right, yeah. I'm sure people from Texas come here and they're like, It's, it's Houston. Houston. Yeah. But that's because it's different people. Yes. Different families who pronounced their names differently. Sam Houston in Texas was pronounced Houston, but whoever the Houstons were is not an unrelated family. Harvey Weinstein and Josh Weinstein. Mm, right. Different. different. Is that really how you say Harvey Weinstein? Weinstein? How do you say it? Weinstein? I just assumed it was Weinstein. Well, I have I know various Weinsteins and Weinsteins. And oh, I get, yeah? I get confused. So you're actually correct, and I'm just... <laughs> Confusing all of the Weinsteins and Steens. Yeah. But I haven't confused any of the wine, the other wines. Rosé, I'm very clear. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so wait, so, okay, when did you start getting interested in, in art stuff? Well, when I was at Kilgore, I had a really great teacher who was like, you know, my like the mentor type, you know, like when you run across that person who's like, you could really do things and you could like. You know, you could what, be an artist. Who or was this? Who was this? This guy, man? Raymond Caldwell. Okay. He was really great. And he just kind of like really changed my life because I just, I had never, had I was. Did you sign up for a class with him? How did you come? Well, I was in the theater him? department and he was the head of the theater department. Wow. So I was taking classes with him. And he, um, yeah, because I had just been in theater because it was like, well, I'm good at this and like, so it's something to do in high school. Okay. Um, but I hadn't really thought about it like as, you know, like as a pursuit or something, you know. And then he, um, but yeah, he was so great. 
that, uh, and he was just talk about everything in this way. You know, he talked about like, you know, theater and poetry and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh wow, this there's a whole world to this. You don't have to. It's not you don't just do it because it's something to do after school. Like you right. could do it, do it, and be like an artist. And so then I got into that, and then, you know, in all the sort of like young people ways that you do it, where you start writing lots of things, and you know, you get you know you read a lot of Beckett and all this other kind of stuff, and you get like really high on your own sincerity. Um, yeah, but I'm so impressed that you're doing this while you have a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I just feel like you're like grappling with two totally different worlds. Oh yeah, yeah. At the same time. Yeah, there was a lot going on, and then. Um, yeah, and then and then I stayed in theater, and then quit theater, and then was in did um, experimental music for a while, and then I was in a band that was then that broke up, and then that's when I decided to do sort of performance stuff because I had started to have lots of ideas. Even when I was in theater, I would have all these ideas, but nobody wanted to do them with me, so I was always like, "Oh right, right." So maybe that's a stupid idea. Instead so I, of instead of realizing like I can do this on my own because I think- right yeah. Well, it was scary, the idea of doing it by myself. And even when I first started doing it, it was really scary to go up there by myself. I'd it never had is. to do that. You For know. me, it still is. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But in retrospect, it's sort of funny to hear because how many of those people are actually still performing? Yeah, I don't know, you know. So here are all these people naysaying your ideas. Right, yeah, And yeah. now you're like this huge performer, and so those ideas should feel even more... Or you should feel some sense of validation in them. Like, oh, oh yeah, totally. Maybe I was right all along. We should be yeah. kangaroos. No, you know? I definitely got some, and I had I took some acting classes where they there's a specific acting class I took where they told me that you know like I move my legs a lot and you know flutter my hands around. And uh, the teacher yelled at me one day in class because I was sitting there listening, like, bouncing my knee. And she, like, pointed at my knee and she was like, that's why you will never be a good performer. You waste all of your energy with your hands flying everywhere. So she was, like, kept trying to make me stop moving my hands a lot. And it is kind of funny because, like, that is literally kind of what I do now for a living is move like that. <laughs> well, but consciously. You know? I mean, I think her point is well yeah. taken in that, like you now know that you're doing that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And before you would have just done it and maybe not done it in this conscious way. Because that is, is like, particularly with modern dance, Yeah. you know, you can look at it and be like, well, that person's just walking around on stage. Right. But if it's a good modern dance piece where they're walking, it's deliberate. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Like, they are making a statement with it. Yeah. And I, I feel like that does carry over to some of your... Work like uh, to what extent are you parroting? Let's say like with Champagne Jerry. Mm-hmm. To what extent are you like parroting this white rapper? And to what right. extent are you that? Is well, always a blurred yeah. line. Yeah, yeah. Like it just is. Some yeah, people are going to get offended and be like, "Oh my god, that was so sexist," or "That was so right." Yeah. Like he's not black. How can he be a rapper? Right. Yeah. And then you're like, I think we already proved that white men can rap. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I mean, to boys. me, yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think of. I've never really thought of anything that I've ever done really um, at all as um, parody or anything like that. Even though I know sometimes some people read it that way and that's fine with yes. me. Like, I'm okay with people thinking that. But um, And then I did do this interview one time where somebody was pointing out, because I was like, oh, yeah, nothing I do is not parody and it's not ironic. And she was like, yeah, but there are, depends on how you're thinking of the word irony, because, like, there are some inherent ironies. Like, if you're a 30-something-year-old man doing Hannah Montana songs, there's an inherent irony there, whether or not you're trying to be ironic with yes. the capital I. And I was like, oh, right, so I guess I can't say that categorically. But um, but that's yeah. not your intent. Like, I do think it's important yeah. to, like, 
you know, sometimes people will essentialize things and say, so, right. you know, is it a political message that you have there? And you'll say, right, well, yeah. if I had one, you know, I'm glad that that was there because it happens to align with my values, but, right, it, yeah. but it wasn't my intention. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I do think that there is also this challenge, like, I used to make jokes about, I used to, as in yesterday, about, um, <laughs> you know, social class issues, like with nannies. Mm -hmm. And I remember one woman in the audience looking at me like, you are white, you are obviously wealthy, mm -hmm. you are obviously pro this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you think this is a good system. Right. And that was like her looking at me and I was like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Like it is, it is hard. I would say that like mm -hmm. they're more than you, you parody more than you realize is what I would say. Like or, yeah. or, or mm -hmm. elements of your work comes out as, as um, satire. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think it comes out that way. I think for me, I mean, I don't do anything that I'm not super um, excited about and sincere about. I think that, but that, but there are things about it, even things that I like that I think are kind of ridiculous or insane. Right. And, you know, so it's not like I'm denying those things. I think for me the thing is, the thing that I don't like about the idea of, like, satire or parody or yes. irony is that it creates some sort of distance between me as the person that you're looking at and then the material. And I don't really like that at all. Like, I don't want, there's no distance. Because I don't feel any distance there. Yes. I'm like, no, I'm inside this thing. Like, I'm, I am doing Hannah. this thing. I am this thing. You know, this thing is a part of me. There's lots of other parts of me. This isn't all of me. Like, I'm not all Hannah Montana or all Insane Clown Posse or all Champagne But for the moment, Jerry. for that moment when you're Hannah Montana, you're Hannah yeah. Montana. Well, and I am all the time, you know what I mean? Like, sad teenage girl bedroom stuff. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I totally am that all the time. And I'm also, like, you know, um, you know, angry working class person all of the time, you know. But I'm, it's not all that, you know, it's not. So the thing about all these shows is that you get to be like, you know, oh, you get to pick out. Because even when I started making them, I was like, what's exciting about it is that if I pick, like, Lionel Richie, mm -hmm. then he becomes this, like, you know, uh, screen or whatever. And then I can push everything about myself that I want to through that screen. Some things won't go through, you know. But everything that comes through is me. It's just that Lionel Richie is just serving as a way to, like, okay, well, today I'm not going to do sad teenage girl because I'm doing Lionel I'm Richie. I'm focusing on more of this part of my, my yeah. personality. But it's all, you know, it's all there all the time. And like the same thing with Champagne Jerry. Although with Champagne Jerry, I feel like I get to be more things because with um, than I do with the shows. Because with the shows, the material's already there. The songs are already there. There's so much information about this person. But with Champagne Jerry... I'm writing all of the lyrics, so it's like I can be, I can go back and forth. So, like, the hornier aspects of myself, the crazier aspects of myself, the, the sillier aspects of myself, where I grew up, what, what I am now, what I want to be and what I'm not, all these types of things, I can do all of those things. So it's a super exciting project for me because I don't really have to, I don't have to leave anything out so much with Champagne Jerry. I just have to turn it into songs in this way, you know. I think what what works as an audience member when mm -hmm. I go to see you, the reason I enjoy seeing you so much is because of what you were saying where you don't separate, that you're not a satirist or um, trying to be a comedian in a way of like, hey, look at me, isn't this funny that I'm playing this character? Like, there's no right. wink, wink. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you fully embody that character and your comfort in your own skin 
is is what makes it so funny. Yeah, yeah. And there was just like a huge trend, and I love pranksters. I'm obsessed with all of this stuff. But like, mm -hmm. I remember even I tried to do a satire of after 9/11 of like how racist white people were oh, towards right, the yeah, Arabs. Yeah. And I won't put that piece up, not because it's not funny, but it was so angry. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And it was so angry, and that's not performance art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, go do something in social service at that moment. Yeah. Um, so it, it definitely worked as a piece, but I feel like in general, that type of art, I would say, mm -hmm. for me is off-putting. Yeah, I don't really make that kind of a thing. I mean, I think that it's like, you know, it's the same thing as satire. There's inherent, like, political things and blah, 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 blah. And I can talk about those, all of those things. But for me, it's like, yeah, it feels like if I want to do something political, it's so much more effective for me to join a campaign or to send money to somebody or to join an organization or to, like, try to, like, assist people who know what they're doing in that realm yes. than for me to, like, just make a show about, like, income inequality or something like that. I'm yeah. like, what? That doesn't seem... It, it can be effective, and that's great, but for me, it's, like, it's not as effective as, like, well, like, but I could... There are these people who are really good at this kind of stuff that understand how to get things done. And so I would rather just support them yeah. rather than I'm going to make, you know, and a painting about, you know, about Syria or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It ends up being so, and on the flip side, as art, it ends up being so much more vital and real and funny because you're embodying the characters. Right, yeah, yeah. Instead of like winking and letting the audience know, like, isn't this hilarious that I'm a grown man in a dress? Like, <laughs> well, and also because, like, you know, when I was a kid, like, that's what I wanted to do. Like, that's what I used to do when I was a kid. Like, I listened to the radio and I was like, it seemed to symbolize that there was this whole world out there since it was, you know, before the internet, I didn't really know what was going on. But like Madonna rolling around on the floor in a wedding dress, I was like, it symbolized a whole world of awesome things that must exist. And so I wanted to be like that. So I tried to take all of that sort of stuff on, which is I think what people do all over the place. Like when you see like white suburban kids like rapping along with like, you know, NWA or like Public Enemy right, or something, right. it's like, you know, they're rapping about Farrakhan, but they're serious. They're not doing it because they're like, you know, they're like, isn't it so funny that I'm rapping? They're like, no, right at this moment, I totally love Farrakhan. Like, in their voice and the way that they're doing it, they're taking that thing on, which I think is a very American thing. Like, it's not so... Di it, it's, it's divided up here, but it's not culturally... I don't think that's an American thing at all, because you, know. you see in, uh, kids in all these other countries... Oh, yeah, singing yeah. American songs, they may not even know what the lyrics are right, fully. Yeah, yeah. So I think I don't. And it's like you feel, and and they feel that, and they become that thing. And that to me is like, I don't know why when you become an artist, like the idea then becomes that you've got to stand outside of this stuff. Whereas the way that everybody else experiences it is so much more integrated into their own persona in this yes. way. You know? Yeah. But in art, like it needs to be like somehow you're serving as this sort of you're, you're commenting on it rather than. When I'm like, but when I see, you know, kids that make YouTube videos or whatever, like their approach to their material, yeah. which they didn't write and is not theirs and probably doesn't speak directly to their life experience, is the same kind of approach that I feel like I have in that, you know, their, their level of identification with what they're doing, you know. So just to be clear, you're saying that most middle class white children don't personally know what it's like to be Farrakhan. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I wanted to hear a little bit about <laughs> dance. Do you really go-go dance? I used to, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to. to. Yeah, I used to do it. I don't really remember how many times. I know you've I did retired from amount. dancing now. But <laughs> but I did go-go dance for a while, like in, what, like 2000, 
to 2003, somewhere around there. Uh, this burlesque lady that I met, you know, we were like friends for a little while, and then she asked me if I wanted to go go dance at something, slipper room, something, something, something. So I may have even been there with Lady Gaga, but um, I don't know. Yeah, because she danced she then. That yeah. Of time. Yeah. But um, yeah, and so I did that for a while. It was kind of, it was fun. It's like a weird, it's an interesting thing to have to do for the for an evening. Like I would have all these clothes on, and then I would slowly take them off so that I would have. My idea was that I would have end up wearing like fifteen different outfits, so that I would just take off something, like convert my outfit every you know half hour or something like that. Because you're just dancing for like. Hours. How much of it is just wearing different costumes? Like, do you do different moves in the different costumes? Or is I it just felt like, like it was mostly about the costumes. Yeah. I mean, not that many people are really looking at you. Like, you're on, you're on the bar. So the funny thing about it to me is that, like, your face is, like, near where the lights are. And so everybody else in the bar is sort of like, <clears throat> they're, you know, moving around and drinking and occasionally looking up at you or something like that. Yeah. But you're really, like, your face is, like, with the lights. So it's kind of a weird space to just kind of dance to the music. Except on the other hand, it's a little easier because you're, um, you know, you don't have to interact with anybody up there. It There's helps me who can't interact <laughs> in the audience, and I'm like sitting there socially awkward, not talking to anyone. So I just like look up at the dancers. Yeah, yeah. So you're yeah, it made that kind of easy. So I felt like I just, you know, and then I would just um, because you're dancing for hours. Uh, yeah, you kind of just make it up, figure it out as you're going along. You're like, oh, I'm going to dance like this to this song. This would be kind of fun. I don't know that I was particularly successful. Like, I have no idea what I was doing, but and, I did it for a while. And what about modern dance? Because you're the only person I've ever heard who did modern dance to support themselves as their day job. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just kind of, my friend Adrienne Truscott, who was in the Val, or still is in the Val Val Sisters, she was also makes dances, and I had known her from just, like, the performing stuff, you know. Um, and downtown stuff. And then she was like, oh, I'm making a dance. Would you like to be in it? And I was like, well, I'd never, ever done that before and had really not ever taken any dance classes, although I did take this one class. Um, and then she uh, asked me to be in it, and then I really enjoyed it. And then I, then David Newman, who's also a choreographer, was in that show, and then he asked me to be in the dance, and I ended up being in three of his shows. And then, um, and then the way the dance world works, where you're sort of like, you like go out of town, work for a couple weeks on like a residency and you get paid to do that and then you come back. So it ended up being between David's things and Adrian's things and then I started making sound for the choreographer Miguel Gutierrez. How did that happen that you started making sound from dancing? He just asked me, well, Adrian had put me down in this one dance she made called Genesis No. I was down as one of the sound designers because I had made a piece of music that we used in the thing. And there was very little sound in that show, which is kind of funny to think of me as the sound designer for the whole show, because there was not a lot of sound. But anyway, so he had seen that, and he knew me from around and had seen me perform and everything, and so he just asked me, um, you know, like we had coffee, and he was like, I just think you're really interesting and really good, and I would like you to maybe design sound for this thing, and we can just see how it goes. If it, you know, if we work on it for a while and it doesn't work out, or you don't like it, or whatever, like, we don't have to do it, but... He's like, I just think, you know, I respect you and think you're interesting and would like to work with you. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's what, and I think Miguel does that a lot. Like, I think he's just got this kind of great sense of, um, you know, he just finds people that he thinks are really interesting and they probably haven't done a project like that before, but then he's just like, we should, I just think you're, 
great, so I think we should work together and see if it works out. You it's know? such a sign of like his brilliance, and I feel like the only people I get hired <clears throat> from are ones who are like, oh, you're really smart, you can do X, I think you'll be able to do Y. Like, right, yeah. And so it just shows, it just like speaks to him like as a leader too, like a Lao Tzu kind of quality. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I trust and respect you, and that's why I want you to work with me. Right, yeah. And I also think you can handle this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, we, and then I was really nervous because I was like, well, the, the, the thing that scared me was the idea that I was going to be at my house trying to make up sound for something. I, that terrified me. So I was like, my only experience with dances was being in the room all the time in rehearsals. So I was like, I just started going to all the rehearsals and I would work on stuff while they were dancing. Wow. And, um, which then worked because then I was sort of making stuff up at the same time they are making stuff up and then I could try it out and see what happened and then add to it or subtract from it. And, um, yeah, and then ended up working really well. And, um, yeah, and then the work periods on all those things would be so long that so for several years there, it'd be like I'd go to this place with David for a couple weeks and then come back home, be home for a couple weeks, then go here with Miguel and then be back and then rehearse with Adrian. And, you know, and so I was able to just kind of, like, piece it together. And then who's taking care of your two kids, Blake and Oliver, during that time? Well, Blake lives in Texas with his mom. He's okay. 19 now, okay. so he's basically taking care of himself. He can go to the bathroom by himself. Yeah, yeah. Like he knows yeah. what he's doing. <laughs> um, uh, Oliver, we had, when he was really young, I took care of him full time. Mm -hmm. And then we got a babysitter who would come in some on the afternoon so that I could start going back to rehearsals and things like that. And then um, after that, Ada would watch him and then, or, you know, he, he started, didn't, I mean, you know, he started, um, what's it called? Like nursery school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When he was two. So it'd be between that and Ada and then I, when I'm home <clears throat> and Ada are, are really good at, you know, swapping off cause she's right. a freelancer now too. As a writer. <clears throat> yeah. And so, yeah, we can usually, you know, figure it out, you know, and then when we can't, Ada's mom will help out, and then when she can't, we'll get a babysitter, and, or sometimes other friends of ours who have kids, you know. Or we just, just leave them outside. <laughs> He's a latchkey kid. <laughs> See what he can do. So, okay, your next Champagne Jerry show is March 16th, I want to say? March the 13th. March 13th? Yeah. Hold on. March 13th. <laughs> At Joe's Pub? Yeah. And um, what time, and where can people go to get tickets? Um, you can get tickets at joespub.com, um, or, um, um, or you can get them, you know, by, it takes a couple of extra clicks, but you can do them through champagnejerry.tumblr.com. Um, but anyway. You can log on to that from Joe's Pub's website. Yeah, yeah. It's much easier to get the tickets through joespub.com. Less clicks. Fewer clicks. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and it's at 9.30 on March the 13th. And people should follow you on Twitter, on Twitter, mm -hmm. at Neil Medlin. Mm -hmm. And then where else can they go to download the songs and things like that? Well, we're putting the songs together as an album right now, so there aren't fabulous. any of them out, out. The only place really to hear them is at the show. Okay, but that's fabulous that you're doing an album. Yeah, yeah. We have, we have enough songs. Like Oh, absolutely. Because uh, at the show on the 13th, even if you came to the show in January, we're doing at least four new songs. Oh, my gosh. Maybe five, but there's definitely four new songs. New videos? Um, yes, and at least one new video. Because I thought you could do a video album, too. Your videos are so funny. Well, that's funny. what I want to do. Yeah, I want to definitely make a video for every song, you know. They're so... That little toy car. Oh, yeah. That it's one is unreal. really fun. My friend Carmine Cavelli directed that, and he's really great. Neil, I'm so grateful to have this time with you. I, I think you're one of the most hilarious and just phenomenal artists I know. And oh, thank it's you. It's like a 
pleasure and privilege. I don't know what you call work crushes, but I have a huge one. You, so. <laughs> I think you just call them work crushes. <laughs> I think that's the official term. <laughs> thank you for stopping by the Writers Guild, and congratulations on winning the Employee of the Month Award. I hope, oh, thank you. I'm very, you... very happy about it. Got it at my bedside. Oh, good. Do you sleep with it? <laughs> I do. I mean, I get sometimes the glass breaks, so I have to get new glass, but okay. it's fine. We can probably reimburse you. <laughs> for you the Band-Aids. Yeah, for the Band-Aids. <laughs> Just for the Band-Aids. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out our website, employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com. You can nominate people. You can give me feedback about the interviews, what you liked, didn't like, people you'd like to hear from. Again, this show is about jobs, work, and culture. So try to get a sense of how people spend their time, what they do with it. We really only, we meaning me, like to only interview interesting, good eggs. The good part meaning that they have a moral compass. I probably will not take someone if they're a dictator or a parking ticket officer, but anyone else who has a really interesting job or career, please feel free to uh, let us know about them. Please donate if you have money. We could really use your help. It makes the sound quality that much better. It helps pay for people. And even me, I could afford to have three meals in a day instead of combining. That would be a delight. I really want to thank Ian Mazoff for being just a wonderful partner in crime, as well as all of you for listening. Thank you so, so much. And how did I not thank Lady Parts? Thank you, Lady, for being the best co-host a host could ever have. I'm Katie Lazarus. Be well.